I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. Scott, I have to tell you, um, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling, uh, you know, I can't say I'm feeling good. I can't say I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling mm. now that this, um, you know, we're, we're really into this podcast and it's off the ground. Um, you know, I've, I've already gotten some, some really great feedback. It's, it's really something. It, it just makes me feel like there's so much more work to do. That, that's how I feel right now. I, um, I have to tell you that I'm getting feedback too. Um, as soon as we were getting ready to post the first opus, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the digital, one of the guys that works in digital, Seiji, comes over and says, hey, nobody's doing anything like this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys for yeah. doing this. And then just last night, a friend of mine, uh, next door neighbor in Omaha, reached out out of the blue through Facebook. And he said, I am totally on board. Everything you've got out so yeah. far, I've listened to. Um, and basically what we got down to is uh, he admitted that ever since Black Lives Matter and Me Too have become prevalent, he's having realizations, you know, yeah. that, uh, bombs are going off for him. Yeah. And so he's on a path now to fix it or, you know, do something to remedy that. I'm sure, and, I, and I'm sure that you uh, you share some of those moments of realizations. Um, you know, we were talking before we cut on the mics. You know, there was a there was an audience segment that I had in mind uh, when when you know I was coming up with the idea for this, and um, it, it looks like there's an audience segment that relates more to you uh, mm-hmm. that's out there that I hadn't really thought about either. You know, folks that. Um, well, I, I won't speak. I won't speak for you or for them. How, how would how would you describe um, the the Scott Hive, the uh, team team Scott, as far as the um, the the Triloquy listening audience? Um, they look like me, <laughs> right? Okay, so they're white. They're middle aged, um, and I think that anybody who's paying attention and really cares is probably doing some some house cleaning. And having some realizations. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of them are probably embarrassed to come forward and, yep. and say, I was complicit just by standing by or, you know, the ca- uh, like, you know, casual racism, the uh, uh, the um, the bias, what unconscious bias, uh, unconscious bias. Yeah. Know, all these things are happening and they're having the realizations. So it's a good thing. You know, I, I had my own realizations as well. You know, there was, I remember there was a day in particular when, um, hashtag me too really went off on the internet yeah. and going up and down my timeline, um, on Twitter and Facebook, um, and seeing all these women that I know, recount their stories of uh, sexual abuse and sexual assault. Yeah. Man, it just really broke my heart thinking about um, how, how so many women I know have had to deal with this and how, you know, I guess my reaction was, is, is abuse by men an intrinsic part of being a woman? I mean, it, 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 that's what it felt like. And yeah. I, just, I felt so horrible for not really having a vision of it. You know, I've, I've never been... Um, involved romantically, sexually, or otherwise with a woman in my life. So, um, you know, that dynamic is not one that I really know or understand or have any experience with. And just, and seeing it, you know, through these, uh, seeing the stories told through all these women that I know was, was really something else for me. And, um, 
and yeah, um, that, that again, that's that's why all these conversations are really important. So I, I'm glad people are um, are listening to this and relating to you, uh, Scott. It's about, positive, uh, you know, uh, about um, growth and yeah. and transition and and just willingness to listen, willingness to listen. Yeah, I'm I'm encouraged by it. So let's yeah. keep doing it. Yeah, and um, you know, we we we've also been putting in some time uh, away from work as well. You uh, invited Del and I to brunch, and I didn't know it was going to be an all-day thing. Neither but, did I, but it ended up that way. But you know, it's 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 fun. I, I had I had a good time. I'm always, um, you know, I think I think we're approaching um, that that era of our friendship when there are certain um, how can I say certain unspoken things that just don't matter anymore. Because you know, I'm often concerned with. Um, um, imposing on people's time because I know how how much time I don't have, and <laughs> <laughs> so so when so when there are people that like come over to hang out with me, there, there's always that okay how how am I gonna push him out the door? How am I gonna <laughs> how am I gonna politely say that it's time for you to leave? But you know I I, I guess. Um, you just had a lot of a lot of time to share with us. <laughs> I I felt like at some point I should have asked. Should, do you guys need to be somewhere? <laughs> I mean, you, obviously did we didn't. Did you have something going on? Um, because normally, you know, it would have been just it would have been me and Radar. And normally it would just been me and Dell. And yeah. you know, I, I I beat the I beat the concrete so hard all week. You know, uh, on on Sundays we just like I like I was telling you that's our day to. You know, uh, I felt go like to the a, museum. Yeah. Go, you know, go to the we go to the Mall of America a lot, really just to walk around. But. I was hoping that I wasn't stepping on because you mentioned that that is your time to be together and to you know have your time, and I I didn't want to be stepping on that. So oh, that's no. that's what I was being. No, no, not at to all. Be considerate had a, of had a great time. Showed me. Um, Phelan, Phelan Park, Lake Phelan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't wait to see that. Um, see that fall. place in the winter. I, w- I want to see Lake Phelan frozen. I've, <laughs> I've I've never walked on on frozen ice, and and the idea still makes me really nervous. Yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Because I um, I thought I almost went through. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it just we had a warm stretch in right around uh, Valentine's Day one particular year, I took Radar out for a walk late and I just happened to go through with one leg through an ice fishing hole that hadn't completely frozen over. I thought I was a goner. Oh my gosh. But thankfully, I didn't go all the way through. Maybe I won't be walking out on uh, Lake Phelan this winter. I'm telling you, it just takes one time. The edge, just just to say that I did it. Um, but but we did all that. Had a had a couple nice meals. You're 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 a pretty decent cook. I appreciate that. And and of course, you know, you have to leave the cocktails up to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good call too. Um, and and toward the end of the night, you know, so uh, you know, one of the things we really like to do is you know just kind of listen to music or, or just watch random videos and all that sort of thing. And we kind of. Um, you know, talking about uh, the Reed podcast, shout out to Kit Fury and uh, Crystal. Uh, I-, I brought her up for some reason. So we watched the episode of Drunk History she did um, talking about um, Harriet Tubman. Yeah. And and I and uh, the next day I found myself giving um, that another shout out on Twitter 
Um, because, you know, when we talk about like the veterans and uh, military history in the United States, you know, we don't talk about Harriet Tubman as the first woman to to what did she say to, to lead a um, to, to lead a, a war? I don't know my military word, Scott, like to, to, to lead a bat, not a battle, but a, you know, a plan to execute a plan. Somebody listening knows exactly what I mean. I, I feel bad. <laughs> she had a mission. She had a. Yeah. She was the, um, you know, first first American woman to to lead a, a military mission, I guess. And it's just a, a bit of that American history that we don't talk about um, enough. And, um, and and it was really something. And um, in the pain, you know, as we were leaving uh, your place, this is like one in the morning on the pain for play next was the drunk history episode about the Little Rock Nine. And um, and you knew the story and you knew that history, but I guess you just didn't. Um, know it as the Little Rock Nine, or know them as the Little Rock Nine. Right. I mean, I knew that it was about um, integration in the schools, and the National Guard was involved. Uh, I just didn't know that there was a name for that day. Yeah, yeah. And those people involved. Well, of course, you know, so growing up in Memphis, Little Rock is, I mean, not not is I think it's about two hours away like it's it's not a long drive we, we would we would go hang out in Little Rock all the time so um that history and that present um is one that I was very uh very much aware of um I've, I've visited um you know I, I didn't go there obviously as a student but you know I've visited the grounds and you know it's one thing to see the pictures in the in the textbooks or uh, on the internet but then to be there and and to see this space and think about these children and that's that's something that we don't think about a lot either like these were kids they're in their teens right? these are teenagers having to deal with violent adults you know trying to keep them out of this school and um and I think about those adults and I think about their kids and I think about their kids, you know, who are here probably, I mean, you know, probably younger than me or, or my age at this point. What, what is their relationship with, with their history, with mm-hmm. their family history and, and their family present. And it just, it got me on this, um, you know, it, it was, it was emotional for me because I am very much familiar with, uh, again, I'm familiar with that story, but just thinking about, um, how not so long ago that was, how, how these people are alive and, and living. And Scott, I remember, um, some, uh, some episodes ago you said, well, maybe you have, uh, more allies than you think. Mm-hmm. And thinking about, um, those stories and that bit of history just make me feel like I don't, because if, you know, if your grandparents or God forbid your parents, or one of the people out there screaming and yelling and holding the picket signs and throwing out the N-word and, and just making, you know, life for these teenagers just so horrible. Embarrassed. Who, who, they, who they, And they were just trying to go to school, you know. How can, a, am I supposed to just assume that people are on my side when I'm walking, when I'm walking down the street? Am, am I just to assume that all of a sudden somebody flipped a, a light switch or snapped their fingers and, and everyone in your family, your generation is the non-racist generation. Your generation is the non-bigoted generation. You know, like, does that make sense? Like, it does. Th- that's just kind of the, the, the mindset I have to think of and live in so often. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from and uh, talking with you about it and, and watching that video, even though the video was taking sort of a humorous um, you know, there were there were elements of humor in a right. story that is not funny. Right. Do you find that to be a problem that 
that there was a humorous bent on a story that was and this traumatic. Is, right. And this is why um, this is why diversity is important, because at the head telling this story, reenacting this story and really pushing it forward was, uh, excuse me, was, um, were black people. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm watching, you know, it, it would feel very different if I was, if I was watching someone who looked like you sitting on the, sitting on a couch, half drunk, telling this story rather than a black woman who, you know, has lived that experience and we can, you know, we can take that sort of thing in jest. Um, I was watching, you know, um, uh, the Breakfast Club on um, YouTube uh, not too long ago, maybe a few weeks ago, and there was a um, a young playwright on there, and he um, told this story about how his grandfather um, was almost lynched, like uh, survi oh sur God. survived a lynching, and he takes his time telling this, you know, horrid story, and he ends by saying, now, of course, when my grandfather used to tell us this story, it was hilarious and we would all be laughing. And, you know, because you, th there's certain things that <laughs> you, you learn to um, you learn to, you know, they have the phrase uh, laugh to keep from crying. Sure. You know, and, and there's certain things that um, black folk and, and other folks of color, women, perhaps I can't speak for women. But, you know, of these these situations, we just know how to take them and turn them into something you know, that can, that can teach us and enrich us. You know, every, every time I, um, go home and visit my parents, um, you know, we all have a new story of racism in our lives and, you know, just the way it's told is funny. If I go into the gas station, uh, on my way home today and someone in there calls me the N word, I'm going to go home and talk to Dell and, I'm going to be like this person wearing such and such and blah, 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 you know, mm -hmm. just and, and, and maybe um, I don't know. And maybe there's more to that conversation about how we um, are kind cope. of forced to mm -hmm. cope in, in, in that way. And it's just so real. And um, it, it makes me think about the concept of freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So this isn't. Um, an opus uh, officially. This is our first. Uh, uh, we're going to call this an intermezzo. <laughs> So let's. So, for people who aren't hip to classical music terminology or music terminology, an intermezzo yeah. is. So, I, I define an intermezzo as sort of um, an in between piece. So, um, imagine going to an opera and you have these um, different acts. Operas are in acts. Between each act would be, um, back in the day especially, would be a musical performance of some sort on stage. Uh, just to keep the audience entertained or, you know, what, whatever. While they change costumes and yeah. get the set ready and all yeah. that. So that's okay. called an intermezzo. That's what that music uh, was called. Okay. So um, so that's in what we're calling this. In today's pop music, you might call it a bridge. Sure. I mean, well, similar. Okay. Right, right. So the concept is, is the same, but it's its own separate piece of music. That That's the thing. Um, so, so this is an intermezzo on freedom, specifically... Um, Juneteenth and um, and and I'm gonna say that word freedom a lot and and we've had this conversation as well Scott because um, are we free what is freedom you know watch watching that Little Rock 9 special made me just think about how much I want to no longer be under the thumb of um, systemic um, white oppression and it's a shame that I almost feel a guilt about saying that into this microphone, you know, but 
you know, I, I want to live in a world where I can just be me. I want to live in a world where I don't have to let respectability politics rule over what I say or uh, or what I wear or where I go. You know, Dell wants to go to a, um, a hockey game. And I'm nervous about that. I don't know what that environment is like. I don't see too many black people playing hockey, so I imagine I wouldn't see too many black people in the crowd. So am I am I going to have to deal with some BS in there? You know, it's, it's all of these um, metaphorical chains that just mm. hold us down, and we're not free. We, we can't go where we want to go. We can't do what we want to do. Um, anyway, we'll get we'll get into that more. But um, yeah, we got to let's let's keep on yeah. our on our little roadmap here. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you I was feeling today. I, I'm very emotional. I'm trying to I'm trying to be there with you. Um, so um, how 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 are we going to do this? So I guess yesterday was uh, Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anything about Juneteenth? In I, in general, just very generally speaking, I, I don't remember anything from. Grade school. In fact, I the only memory that I have of it actually being covered in class would have been freshman year of college black studies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you even, black studies in college. Yeah. Oh, good for you. And even still, uh, I couldn't give you names or particulars. I'm only aware of it. I yeah. don't. I don't remember the particulars. Well, um, I, so I, I'm. I'm just going to read. So. You know, for uh, C24, um, I, I did a, um, for, for Juneteenth. Classical 24 is yeah. the, the team that we work for. Right. So um, so o- over the over the radio, um, all day for Juneteenth, um, one piece each hour um, was by a black American, and it was preceded by uh, some sort of story or something that can tie them with Juneteenth. So I'm just going to read um, a bit of that script, and that'll just lay down what Juneteenth is. The Emancipation Proclamation is widely remembered as the beginning of freedom for American slaves, but all weren't actually freed until over two years after President Lincoln gave that speech. It was June 19, 1865, when Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, with news that the Civil War had officially ended. With that news came a demand that all former slaves must be freed. Since then, June 19th has been known as Juneteenth, a holiday that celebrates the freedom of Afro-Americans from slavery, the vibrant and rich culture of today's black communities, and the continued push for true racial equality and equity. Um, down south, um, not in Memphis where I'm from, but um, I know I have a homie that lives in Paducah, Kentucky. Juneteenth is like a is a bank holiday there. Like stores are closed and, and everyone is um, grilling out and cooking. And and, and that's just kind of, you know, what, what that what that holiday has uh, has been about. And uh, in recent years, especially, it's really uh, been significant when we talk about Independence Day. So um, what did I just say? Uh, June 19th of 1865, yeah. when when the um, when the uh, when the slaves were freed. America had been a country, you know, it had been a long time since July 4th, 1776. What did black people have to celebrate on that day or the year after or the decade after, you know? Um, So, you know, July 4th is what it is. But for me, I always look to Juneteenth as the day when I get to celebrate the idea of freedom, even though um, it's not completely here yet. Not not from my perspective. Um, And. You know, you you said you know other than um, 
you know, black studies in, in uh, undergraduate where it may have been mentioned. But, you know, this is this wasn't just a, a core part of your like middle school or high school education. No. Right. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, I'm uncertain. Um, as I look back, uh, I can also. Uh, I also have memories of. Um, wondering if these books that we were given were even accurate. Listen, listen, and we're talking about Texas. Um, you know, uh, not too long ago, we were talking about this at your place. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The the they started changing wording that um, slaves were not being referred to as slaves anymore, but rather workers. They brought workers over to be on, you know, to to work in the fields or something, and that makes it feel as if they were on board with it, like they were ready to go. It's, it's, it's that very dangerous narrative of the happy slave or the good slave owner, the idea that anything good, any modicum of goodness could be found in, in that dark, violent um, American history. And and it's 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 I I define that as as violent to to change that textbook to to change the narratives around what all of this was and and you say you don't know why um, necessarily it was a, it wasn't a part a core part of your um a pr- your primary education um, I know exactly why because uh, once again these are conversations and and this is a history that we're expected to uh, forget. Um, I think about uh, World War II and um, in Nazi Germany all the time. Mm-hmm. They had to pay for what they did in a big way. Yeah, they really had to pay for that. And the United States has not had to do that yet. There, there has not been a come to terms, a a come. Uh, I, I won't say come to Jesus, but a you know a a, a come to truth uh, about what all of that was. And what we need to do about it today, you know, um, a full realization and and um, uh, taking responsibility and accepting the fact that that happened. I'm glad you said that. Take responsibility because that is an area that just stumps a lot of people. So, Scott, you obviously were not a slave owner. Well, right? early early on when we st- first started doing these podcasts, I said I still make mistakes. Yeah. And yeah. when you asked me if I was an ally, I said I'm trying. Yeah. Okay. So so I'm I'm admitting that I'm still on the path. Right. I mean, and we and and that's the point. We are all on a different path. We're we're all on our paths. Um, but what I was going to say is, you are not. You know, you were not a slave owner. You you never had the whip in your hand. Um, but there are certain. Uh, benefits that you have enjoyed in your life that are connected to that culture, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what I always mean about taking responsibility um, in the same way that as men, uh, both of us have uh, have had, uh, you know, have had benefits uh, due to the, the toxic patriarchy or, or whatever, you know, it's about acknowledging those power structures. I feel like I say that phrase a lot. On this podcast, acknowledge, acknowledging the power structures, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're gonna—I guess—we're gonna tie this to to classical music at some point. But it's just—it's—it's it's a, it's a conversation that I think classical music um, needs to have, as well as um, the the scientists, as well as the you know, because there's whatever, because, mm-hmm. because it it all connects, and it's all a part of our history that we. Um, that we need to acknowledge. I mean, speaking about uh, Nazi Germany again, 
there's a lot of music that we talk about that has a relationship with that culture, right? People talk about Wagner all the time or, or Strauss or whatever. Um, and, um, and, and we'll definitely get to that. But, um, but yeah, the, the whole thing just, man, it, it, it's quick for me to feel like I'm rambling here, but, um, but it's it, it just I get in my feelings about it, Scott. I really I understand. do. You know, there's a um, you know, I'm gonna shout out my mom. She is big into um, ancestry and um, you know, maintaining the family tree and all of that. And there's a photo. I, if I haven't shown it to you, I'll um, I'll uh, I'll show it to you, and and maybe I'll I'll have it posted for this episode of uh, Triloquy. There's a photo of my great grandmother who I knew, you know, um, as a child, um, standing with her parents and her grandmother um, in front of this um, house, and and that was the plantation where they worked in um, in North Alabama, I believe. And the story is that um, the uh, the the owner of the farm, the slave owner, was uh, sleeping with my. I guess that would be my great grandmother's grandmother. Um, her name was America, and the wife got mad and left. And the uh, slave owner went to uh, to follow her to to chase her. So in the process, he sold the farm to the farm's foreman. Um, as long as he married America, so that's kind of you know where my you know lineage starts for all intents and purposes because there's no way for us to know what happened before that you know they they didn't care they they treated slaves like cattle there there were there weren't um family records and, and all that sort of thing you know one of the horrid things people don't talk about all the time is that they were making mother and son brother and sister sleep together because you're just you're you're breeding workers you're breeding cattle you know so that that that's damn like you know that's that's my family history and that's something that i have to think about all the time and and again um getting back to the topic of juneteenth that's why it's so important for me to uh, make sure this day is acknowledged because while we are still not free as a people um completely and wholly in my opinion um you know that that day did something that day did something that um that continues to reverberate um, around the world. Whew. I might need a breather. What you got to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> you sent me a lot of things to look at so that I would be better prepared to talk today. Yeah. And I had a lot of realizations just sitting there on the floor um, it was maybe three years ago. I was in a program here at work called Emerging Leaders. Mm -hmm. One day we went over to Lutheran Social Services to do an exercise, you know, and we talked with um, some people who were uh, from Somalia, from Ethiopia, you know, from various African countries that now work for Lutheran Social Services after being uh, helped to get to the United States through their work, through mm -hmm. the Lutheran Social Services work. And we had an exercise to do. Uh, half of us were put over into this area where they put together boxes for the food pantry. And they, the rest of us went to the grocery store to get groceries. And we were given a list. It had to be on the WIC program. And it was everything awkward or heavy to carry. You know, I'm talking like a bag of rice, um, 
gallons of juice or milk, eggs. Okay, so you understand that mm-hmm. not all of these go into a bag and are easy to handle. Right. And it was kind of it was kind of cold, kind of spit and rain as we're walking over there. And after about twenty or twenty five minutes of walking, I remember thinking, "How far are we going to go?" And there was all of a sudden like a little knock in the back of my head. And then we were in a store that most people would walk by because it was it was unsigned. The front door was propped open with a rock. And inside was some groceries just haphazardly put up on a shelf. Mm -hmm. Not everything on our list was there. And that means for a family that is getting WIC assistance, if they didn't have eggs that day, you don't get eggs. Yeah. Um, we were also, you know, there was no, there, there was no room to get a shopping cart through there. So you either had to bring your own items, your own, uh, boxes or bags or whatever it was. And it was as we were putting these things together, my partner who also happened to, uh, uh, Pam Belknap, shout out to Pam Belknap who led these things. She looked over at me and she says, can you imagine having two or three little kids and try to put all this together? And I, and I immediately thought I can't. And then doing it by yourself. Yeah. You, you, you don't have a partner to help you. And you're trying to keep some kids in line. Right. And, and, and you got to go to work, too. Yep. And then, uh, at the, and then there's a little, a little louder knock. And then we're at, the cash, we're at the cash register ready to check out. And there was some little parcel, you know, some little something candy-like in a bag hanging there. And I remember going, oh, this looks interesting. And the woman from, uh, that was with us from... Lutheran Social Services said, is that on your list? And there's another knock. And on the way home, I'm thinking, man, we're here we're carrying all this stuff and traffic is going by like a yard away. Yeah. And we get back to lunch and I couldn't even eat. Um, each one of those knocks was a realization. And it really resonated because in that person I imagined, I saw people in my neighborhood that are going through the same thing. And that um, someone who looks like me might say or do something out of ignorance that yeah, yeah. And you know help. <laughs> yeah. Get, get no, me out of this gear. No, and it it just it just speaks to you know, God, it, it speaks to the hatred of 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 blackness. You know, and, and, and those Somali uh refugees, as much as they have to go through, imagine being brought here yeah. against your will and told to fight and told to to reproduce offspring with your mother or your sister to help somebody else make more money. And then we're supposed to forget about that. You know, that is a reality that someone that I knew alive, you know, my great grandmother, I remember, um, maybe I was, she passed away maybe when I was five or six, but you know, it's, it's very, uh, very much in my memory, you know, taking walks around the block with her and, you know, just her being a part of my life. She lived inside of that reality. My grandmother, uh, who is very much alive, my mom's mom, um, 
you know, was a um, was a sharecropper, which, you know, is was for all intents and purposes, a step away from slavery. It's not like they were actually making the money that they deserve picking that cotton day in and day out, you know. Mm-hmm. So and 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 that sort of thing manifests, you know, uh, at your your house, Scott, we talked about um you know, life being about balance, you know, having some things and not having other things. I know you content, contentment, you, you, you toil a lot about, um, not having romantic love in your life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) cause you don't, cause you, you don't not have love in your life. You don't have romantic love in your life. Um, but, but, you know, there, there are other things you, you do have, you have a beautiful home, you have a, a great setup and all that sort of thing. And, you know, the issues with um, the debt, the personal debt that I have from um, student loans and otherwise, you know, how how my credit is just really a mess, you know, um, it it ties back into that. You know, how can the grandson of um, a sharecropper, the grandson of someone who um, picked cotton and, and wasn't paid what she deserves, you know, sometimes I feel like I have already done phenomenal things considering that short amount of time you know but 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 there are going to be connections that keep me behind and and I'm not trying to blame you know some of the decisions I had to make on where I came from as as much as I mean to say you know we just don't acknowledge often enough the connection that we all have to that history Mm -hmm. in one way or another um and you know, I feel like we should tie it a little bit to music since this is a, you know, fringes of classical music. So on um, our playlists, uh, and, and I, I would air them all the time um, in Knoxville and air them a lot here um, in Minnesota, you know, the Negro spirituals. And first of all, I know that word Negro is not a word that a lot of people feel comfortable saying or even hearing. Um, but but I categorize that music that way because that's what um, it was called. So um, and, and maybe maybe we can uh, maybe we can hear a clip of one or, or something, put put it in here. But, you know, this music, you know, there they were originally songs that um, were like, um, how can I say secret secret messages to help um, people, you know, find that freedom back in the days of slavery. So one I'm thinking about right now is called um, Follow the Drinking Gourd. And I remember I first learned this song in elementary school. You know, see, I had teachers who who cared ab- about this history, you know. Um, do you know that song, Follow the Drinking Gourd? I don't. So basically, um, you know, in the fields, you would just sing that song and it would get passed along. And, you know, the more you sing this simple melody, it gets passed along down the fields and through the different workhouses or whatever, so that when people um, are ready to run from the plantation, they know to do what? Follow the drinking gourd, which for okay. us is, I guess, the Big Dipper or, or the Little Dipper or whatever, just just running north. Oh, okay. Um, the most, what I would say is the most famous uh, Negro spiritual is Wade in the Water. So, um, so how, how about how about we hear a little bit of that now? Wow, and uh, credits, um, the, the credits we have there, um, 
Shout out the uh, LSU Vocal Ensemble. So bravo to them for uh, for that. What is that song? So just listening to that song or that phrase, Wade in the Water, what, what, what would you think that means? I was about to ask you the same thing. Um, I have a connection to a lot of Americana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Down to the River to Pray. And uh, uh, I'm Weary, Let Me Rest. You know, things like that, even though I'm not really a religious person. Mm-hmm. Those make me feel very uh, down on my knees, hand in the air. And and that's that's what's so brilliant about that genre. Excuse me. What's so brilliant about that subgenre of classical, classical music. I'm getting choked up um, because, you know, for, for it to be sung out in the open like that, it had to have a purpose that the overseers and the slave masters um could not see. So maybe on the surface, it's about, there is a story about uh, in the Bible about wading uh, in the water. Uh, Jesus cures um, a man's leprosy mm, by, mm-hmm. uh, by dipping him in the river. You can yeah. also, you know, you can also make ties to baptism and all that sort of thing. But, you know, when you're on the run, it was harder for the dogs to catch Throwing him. Throwing the scent off. That makes sense. If, if you waded in the water, Whew. just thinking about it, goodness gracious. Um, so anyway, th- that's why music like that is so important, because um, it's it's a part of what is American classical music. Um, you know, you you like Dvorak. Dvorak said himself that there is no classical music. There could be no classical music in America yeah. without the incorporation of of Negro melodies is, is the phrase he used. And spirituals. And spirituals. And, and that's why Negro spirituals are, are so important and and, um, you know, should not even be the fringe of classical music. That, that, that should be part of the core of the repertoire, you know. I'm almost afraid to ask this question because Frederick Delius worked in an orange grove in Florida. And we say orange grove to be very polite, but... It was it, a plantation. It was an orange plantation. And I'm going to tell you, Scott, the, the story of Frederick Delius is one that I used to really love because I consider myself a little disobedient. So, you know, when, when his... You? <laughs> so, nah. You know, like to shake the shake the table a little bit. So when um, <laughs> when uh, Delius's parents sent him from England to Florida, you know, uh, to run run that orange plantation, he he was gonna um, you know write music. That 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 was his time away from home to focus oh, yeah. on writing his music. But not only did you know was he here to run an orange um, plantation, he fathered um, an illegitimate child. Uh, at least the the writings are that. You know, so somebody, you know, again, like I say, the fact checkers are going to get me, but I have definitely read from multiple sources that he fathered uh, an illegitimate child uh, down there. Who Who is that child? Who is that woman? The, you know, the mother? What What is their story? Who knows? Because they're just the workers, you know, and, and, and you know, I bring, I'm glad you brought that up because it just, it speaks to how, again, you cannot separate um, any part of our history, including classical music, from from that dark part of, of of you know that that dark reality for for America, you know um again off mic uh, I just did a quick Google search, uh, looking for more connections between classical music and American slavery, and the first um, link that popped up was the headline is a revealing look at Handel's investment in the slave trade. I'm gonna read that article later, but. I mean, it makes sense. It it doesn't it doesn't seem immediately just um, far fetched to think that someone would make an investment in this booming slave trade, you know. But back in the back in the nineteenth uh, century, and and just as 
you know, we all have a connection to it, maybe in a not so um, flattering way, in, in a horrible, um, in a horrible way. You know, the way I have to think about my my family lineage and my family background. There are also a lot of folks out there still benefiting from that history. Um, and and these are these are corporations. I mean, did did you know that there are major corporations that exist still today that you know had money in in the cotton business? Um, you know, way back when, which in turn was money in the slave trade. There's like eight or ten banks that are still operating today, right? Yes, and and uh, and, and that includes. Uh, sh- I mean, sh- should we just go ahead? I don't know. People have the internet. Let's let's focus on the connection to music and. Okay, but that's... but 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 don't forget to look it up because I think it's important to really understand that connection and and what it means for these corporations. Um, to still exist. So let's talk about the the other side of it, Scott. So just in the way that those Negro spirituals um, really, you know, sing back that history, there's music on the other side. Um, the song Dixie is one that you just know if, if you grew up in the South. Um, the uh, uh, Ole Miss, the uni- is it the University of Mississippi? We call the school Ole Miss, the, the school in Oxford, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for many years, you know, we, um, so going to the University of Memphis, they were one of the, the schools we played in, in football and basketball. Um, their marching band plays Dixie out on that field. Their, um, I don't know if this is the case anymore, but when I was in school, their mascot was uh, Colonel Reb. You know, how am I supposed, I don't. To, how, how am I supposed to feel about that? Or how is a black student supposed to feel about going to a school uh, and being in the band? And they not only do they have to play Dixie, but they have to play Dixie for this mascot called Colonel Reb. And then when they leave the football stadium, they have to see all of these trucks with these Confederate flags flying over them under the guise of heritage, not hate. You know, it's 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 crazy to me. It's nuts to me. That, that pe- it's nuts to me that people uh, uh, validate it. You remember when we were talking about soup versus salad when it comes to music, sure. how some music is a soup and others a salad because you can uh, point out individual ingredients? Yeah. What you just described for me is such a soup I cannot comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a reality. It's a real, a very real soup. Okay, so how do I show that I'm making the effort? How do I try to help fix that? Well, I mean... As, it, as, is there something I can even do in my shift? Is there something I can do when I'm on the air to point these things out? Uh, I, don't, I don't... This is what I'm saying where, you know, you probably have allies... That don't know where to begin. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so two things. Let, let, you you asked about on the air. So whenever there is a, a composer or a performer, if there's anything black about anything I air, I make that the centerpiece because um, because that's how I show equity toward um, the um, the black diaspora as it applies to classical music. So I, I understand that. Um, you know, race doesn't always have an immediate 
uh, role in the classical music, not even the classical music by um, by black composers or or black musicians. You know, it makes perfect sense. If you remember back to um, the, the interview I did with Katie and Delaney, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about the idea of like this all black orchestra uh, at the Gateways Festival playing Rachmaninoff. So, you know, that wasn't immediately um uh, an ode to black classical music because, you know, it was music by Rachmaninoff. But it's still significant that considering our history, we have all still managed to to do this. You know, um, it's it's it, it's so important, I think, to 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 do that, you know, in your in your radio shifts or 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 or, or whatever. OK, that's um, a but, good but, start point. But but the other part of that is. You know, I think the more immediate answer is to deal with it in your periphery. And and that's that's how all of this stuff gets passed down generationally. I feel like every OK, I'm, I'm going to say this. Crucify me if you want. Um, I feel like every or nearly every white person knows someone, has a family member, has someone in the circle who doesn't always say the the right thing or doesn't always oh, think in the quite yes. right way. OK. Um, and, and maybe it's not race. Maybe it has to do with gender or maybe, you know, they orientation orientation, you know, yeah, sexual, whatever. The, the, the work is to deal with it, it w- where you see it. And, and, and so people, so many people want to go out into the world and, and, um, and, you know, with their picket signs and do this and that. And, you know, they're one of the allies. But how are you an ally when your father still uses the N word or, or, or your, um, your brother's, uh, your brother's kids are, are being taught that there's nothing wrong with the Confederate flag or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You, you know, th- th- that, that's the work and that's where it exists and, and that's where it has to be done. Um, but anyway, um, you know, William Grant Still, that spiritual that you played, William Grant Still used that in one of his quartets, right? Yeah. And in a lot of his um, in a lot of his music, you'll hear those uh, spirituals, you know, in the, the the opening solo, the opening English horn solo in his um, Afro-American uh, symphony is um, is one of those um, spirituals. Maybe, maybe let, let's hear that. Just that opening solo. So yeah, definitely go listen to the um, rest of that really in- incredible work. That was uh, the Chicago Sinfonietta under the baton of Paul Freeman, who is who you know is an Afro-American uh, conductor. Um, and and there's so much you know we, we need to wrap up here uh, soon. We've done a lot of gabbing, but um, I, just as an aside, I would like to say that you know there's so much happening in Chicago even when it comes to. Um, uh, revitalizing these um, these Negro spirituals, this black classical music. You know, uh, Florence Price. Um, you know, is that that's where she hit it big um, in Chicago. Where did our first black president come from? You know, there, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of history there. So shout out to Chicago and 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 all the incredible work um, that's being done there. Um, so, you know. While while this conversation, Scott, wasn't immediately tied to um, classical music, you know, I, there are, I didn't, there are I didn't connections. Know that, I didn't know that we were going to go there, but um, what, I, I'm glad that we ended up where we went. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the connections. The, let's talk about, can we talk about the positive connections? Yeah. So, I mean, so 
you know, n- next next time, maybe even if you want to prepare for next Juneteenth even, think about Negro spirituals. Think about the connection that every black American has um, to the institution of slavery. Think about every connection um, white Americans have to the institution of slavery and, and what that means for our future and how we can apply that to um to our different worlds and our different fields. Um, for us, it's classical music, and and, and there are definitely um, really important ties there. So, um, what about ensembles? What ensembles would you recommend people start checking out? The uh, the American Spiritual Ensemble down in uh, Kentucky. I think Lexington, uh, Kentucky, is uh, very active. They they keep up with with um, with with all of that history and. And, and all of those performances. Um, I mentioned Chicago. Uh, in Chicago, there is the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. They deal a lot with uh, music that has ties to Afro-America and the, uh, and the African diaspora. Um, and, and beyond that, you know, just, just listen to the music of, of black composers. We talk about Florence Price and William Grant Still all the time. I love William Grant re, Still's work. Re, revisit um, the, the symphonic works of Duke Ellington. Go back and listen to A Rag by, uh, by Scott Joplin. Um, find uh, a living black composer to uh, listen to. You know, uh, there's Jesse Montgomery uh, out of New York really uh, making big waves. I interviewed uh, a guy named uh, Tyshawn Sori uh, earlier uh, this or- orchestra season, so I guess maybe in um, in uh, October or November or something, but it's out there. The stories are out there, and um, as much as I love unearthing them, um, all of the onus, you know, doesn't fall on me or even organizations like American Public Media. Go find this music, go celebrate this music, and go share these stories so that maybe one day we can all be free because we're not there yet. But but I uh, but I hope one day we can be. You talk about the Sphinx conference a lot and I'm wearing a Sphinx uh, hoodie now. Yeah, and many of your guests also reference that is uh that what is their outlet? for recordings. Is that the Sphinx Virtuosi? Yeah, the Sphinx Virtuosi Ensemble. Now, Sphinx is an organization um, for uh, black and Latinx uh, musicians. So it's not ex- exclusively okay. black, but, okay. but, but, but definitely, you know, a very, very important organization to become familiar with. Um, the Gateways Festival has already come up a few times on this podcast. Uh, the executive director of that is a man named Lee Kuntz, uh, K-O-O-N-C-E. That's based in uh, Rochester, New York. Definitely um, look up and um, and become familiar with the Gateways Festival, a very important bastion of of the celebration of of, of members of the black uh, black diaspora, the African diaspora, um, as we apply to classical music and how we come together and and uh, and maintain that tradition. So uh, and, and that's just the beginning. Um, it, it's all out there, and and hopefully um, we'll be able to um, showcase more of those in the future. So next time on Triloquy, um, you'll get to hear my conversation with Jonathan Gibbs. And, and, and this is another one of those um, interesting conversations that, that ties into, um, like, the history of oppression in this country. So Jonathan um, is, uh, is multiracial. He's black and um, Asian. His mom is uh, from the Philippines. Um, and he's also on the um, on the queer spectrum. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talk about his um, relationship with a group he sings with, the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, and how an ensemble that is categorized as a gay men's chorus um, 
is no longer completely inclusive. It's, it's a really interesting conversation, so I can't wait for y'all to hear that. I can't wait. It's Jonathan Gibbs next time on Triloquy.